Fire prevention for our warehouses. What kind of peak season can we expect? And war in the Middle East brings even more supply chain disruptions. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. I am Dave Maloney, I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Envision Global. Envision Global is a leader in global freight management solutions and services, specializing in freight audit and payment, order management, supplier management, visibility, TMS, and freight spend analytics. Their end-to-end solutions and services enable you to manage your entire global shipment processes within the confines of a single, easy-to-use platform. Interested in saving 7 to 12% or more on your freight spend? Check out EnvisionGlobal.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, October is Fire Prevention Month. Most supply chain companies have facilities that they must protect from potential fires and other hazards. But fire codes vary widely from city to city. How can supply chain managers best protect their facilities? To find out, here is Ben with today's guest. Ben? Thank you, Dave. Yeah, uh, driven by increased demand uh, through booming e-commerce for almost instant product delivery, more and more distribution centers around the country have been adding automated storage and retrieval systems that supports denser storage, faster fulfillment, uh, that that's what allows us to, to get our packages uh, the next day or two day delivery. But however cutting edge those robotic systems might be, those ASRS systems are not without the potential for fire hazard. Uh, that's especially true because many DCs today hold an ever wider array or a mix of new commodities on those shelves. Here to talk about the importance of determining the appropriate hazards and commodity classifications for stored items and to help protect from fire danger is our guest this week. He is Tracy Bellamy, the Chief Engineering Officer at Telgen Engineering and Consulting. Uh, Welcome, Tracy. Welcome. Tracy, to start us off, for our listeners who might not be familiar with Telgen, uh, could you just give a quick elevator pitch about what the company does and how it fits into the logistics ecosystem? Sure, I can do that. Uh, 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 I work with Telgen Engineering and Consulting. We're a fire protection engineering Uh, and consulting company who is uh, heavily engaged in the uh, warehousing industry or fire protection for that. And I think uh, where we do our best uh, work here is is, uh, working as an ally with the facility uh, operators to try to understand the the, the complex fire protection requirements that are associated with those facilities and allow them uh, to get the appropriate protection at at the best cost out. Gotcha. Thank you. Uh, In our discussions before we started talking here, one of the interesting points that you made is that the the rapid growth that we've seen in automated storage and retrieval systems, or ASRS, uh, has outpaced some of the legacy fire protection standards that are actually based on conventional storage and retrieval practices. Could you explain that a little more? You know, our our legacy uh, fire protection requirements for sprinklers come from NFPA 13. It's the uh, uh, most prevalent uh, worldwide standard for for sprinkler protection. And the protection uh, that was developed was probably 50 years ago 
uh, fire tests were run to evaluate what was needed to protect those facilities. And then at that time, it was palletized loads, a four by four cubed palletized load of product with nice loose spaces between those uh, limited storage heights, that sort of thing. And today, uh, when we look at uh, the, the uh, warehousing industry and ASRS or automated storage and retrieval systems, uh, we don't have that arrangement anymore. We have very limited uh, available flu spaces, much significant increase in the surface area, burning surface area of materials being stored in very smaller, much smaller uh, units out there in terms of totes or things like that. So the fire hazard has changed dramatically with respect to what we're trying to protect. I, I tend to uh, uh, explain this kind of in a logical way from something uh, I talk about a, a recipe. We all uh, know how to uh, prepare something from a recipe and if we change the ingredients or change the cooking method, we don't get the same thing. And that's what's happening with our uh, uh, storage facilities out there. We're doing things significantly differently than we did before and many are trying to take our legacy standards in a PA 13 and try to shoehorn uh, the uh, facility or the uh, arrangement into that standard and come out with some protection that just does not fit uh, with uh, with what we're doing out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, of course, we've seen a lot of other uh, new automation uh, changes in, in practices in the warehouse. Do other types of more modern warehouse automation than ASRS likewise uh, present a changing fire challenge? You know, when we look at the arrangement, we have to try to look at it against what uh, what was originally tested, those palletized loads. There are some automated facilities, more modern facilities, the material handling is that's associated with that is very similar to what was done previously in that palletized loads are done. We have to make some of those uh, decisions, logical decisions, does this fit or does it not? So I think there are opportunities for protection with conventional methods. Uh, of uh, protection associated with NFPA 13 in those circumstances. But much more of our world now is about uh, not delivering palletized loads of product, but individual items. So we're, we're seeing much, much more uh, small load or mini load, top loading type systems that are out there. And um, you know, many of our systems uh, are changing even beyond what we know today is common. I think, uh, uh, the material handling folks are coming up with more ingenious, efficient uh, methods to try and uh, store uh, more product, deliver faster speeds and things like that. So we're, we're constantly in a, a state of catch up here, trying to trying to catch up with the uh, industry. Are some of these issues also affected by the specific types of inventory that are stored either on the on those uh, pallets that we're describing or in the ASRS and ha has that been changing over the years? You know, over the years, I think one of the things that, that has changed our industry dramatically is the introduction of, uh, of plastics or synthetic materials. When we look at uh, a plastic, we refer to uh, group A plastics typically. It's a, a variety of plastics that uh, react similar to a hydrocarbon. They're a, they're a very uh, high rate of heat release material. That doesn't just include the materials that uh, we have though. It, it also includes the containers that we use to store these. We're starting to see many, many of these facilities operate with plastic 
uh, containers. And as we see that, we increase the fuel load. Even though we may be storing a metal product still, if we store it in a plastic container, the fire is going to see uh, the plastic container as the hazard. Uh, additionally, a lot of our products, like I say, uh, 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 used to be that uh, uh, most materials were uh, ordinary combustibles, cotton batting and pillows and things like that. Now everything is a foam plastic uh, that has significantly increase the fire loads in here and sometimes uh, we see facilities that that were uh, purpose built for a, uh, a particular item that might have once been made out of uh, uh, ordinary combustible materials uh, you know wood paper uh, type things like that and now it's going to include plastics and we just don't go back and take a look at that so we've got a a large number of facilities that were never designed for plastics and we slowly introduce that and, and sometimes don't recognize that we are in fact increasing the hazard and, and increasing it dramatically. Really interesting. Given the, 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 uh, the profile of that challenge, um, can you share what some of the best practices are for fire protection and prevention? I guess prevention in the first place and then protection in case it starts? Well, I, I think certainly the, one of the first things that I think we need to do uh, from a facility standpoint is recognize what the hazard is we have. Uh, so many times as I, I get involved in a project, I, I, I ask, you know, purposefully ask, what is it that you intend to store here? And, and many times uh, the answer that I, I get back is stuff. We store stuff. And, and of course, that doesn't provide much insight. So I dig a little further and say, well, what? types of stuff and it's, it's usually the answer I get back is well just regular stuff and it's almost uh, you know very difficult to get get down to that I think as a user most folks understand their product in terms of what it is but don't understand how to tell me what that hazard is uh, it's um, similar to uh, you know going to the to, for me going to, to the doctor and and uh, uh, are going to the hospital and having chest pains and, and decide not to tell them I have chest pains uh, so that they can properly treat me. We have to try to dig in deeply to figure out, you know, what is the hazard that we have here in, in the facility? And not just today, but what, what about longevity for the facility? Uh, many times uh, you may have a facility that's purpose built for a particular use today, but might that change? And I think um, that's one of the biggest problems that, that I face is trying to determine or extract enough information to feel comfortable that we have the true hazard associated uh, with the facility. And, and, and of course, you don't realize you've done that until you have a problem and then there's disastrous results out there. But that, that is probably one of the most difficult things that we need to do. And then once we figure out that hazard, we need to, to determine what is the appropriate uh, protection. Uh, and I, I mentioned, you know, we, we've outpaced our uh, legacy standards in FPA 13, and there's certainly uh, criteria out there uh, for ASRS for uh, included from, from the insurance industry, factory mutual, FM uh, data sheet 8-34 provides criteria. But even then, I think we're, we're outpacing that. I think one of the things that uh, we really want to, to try to delve into more deeply is truly understanding what the hazard is, not just from uh, reading a standard and looking at uh, understanding how to protect that, whether it be in a PA 13 or the FM data sheet, uh, but running uh, large scale fire tests. That's one of the places we found 
there is a, a real desire to understand what it is I'm uh, facing in terms of risk here. And the best way to do that is, is conducting uh, large scale fire tests. In fact, I think we, I've got one uh, currently going on, probably about to light that now up at Underwriters Laboratory to truly understand what the hazard is and then purpose design your protection to fit that and not overprotect it, not underprotect it. I think there's a there's a, a efficiency thing here in terms of, of value. And I think that's one of the things that uh, we try to push is get is purpose designed the protection to fit the hazard without uh, without overspending, be most economical. That, that that makes a lot of sense, and and I think this uh, topic is is one that's relevant to uh, so many of our listeners here who uh, who operate warehouses. Uh, Tracy, thank you uh, very much for joining us today. Our guest this week has been Tracy Bellamy from Telgen Engineering and Consulting. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Tracy and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you wrote this week that many retailers are feeling quite optimistic about the holiday season that will soon start. Can you share the details? Absolutely, Dave. Yeah, so we've been talking a lot about the upcoming peak season recently and what to expect given the current state of the economy, especially continued high inflation and rising energy prices and things like that. But despite those challenges, um, a recent survey shows that most small and mid-sized businesses, retailers and other selling products and services, as you mentioned, um, are optimistic about the holiday shopping season this year. Uh, shipping and logistics company DHL surveyed more than 800 business leaders about this, and they found that most are upbeat, with many saying that they expect strong online sales this year in particular. Uh, some of the key takeaways from the company's 2023 holiday survey include uh, most companies started preparing for holiday peak earlier this year than they did last year, with most um, saying they began their preparations in the second quarter. Most expect online sales to surpass or equal last year's volumes, and many say they will look to expand their global reach in order to ensure a successful holiday peak, and they'll do that by reaching out to new end markets around the world, as well as working with more international suppliers, according to the survey. Victoria, you also mentioned some challenges. What are companies most concerned about? The biggest concerns are delays and inflation in that order. About a third of respondents pointed to supply chain delays and disruptions as their biggest fear this holiday season, and about a quarter pointed to inflation. But the survey also found that concerns over both of those issues have eased compared to last year. So that's a plus. Um, I should also note that the results of this survey were, were released prior to the terrorist attacks in Israel last weekend, so any delays or disruptions that may occur as a result of the ensuing war there could change the outlook altogether. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how all of that plays out. Yeah, we certainly will. Thank you, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, to add to what Victoria was just talking about, it has been a busy week in geopolitical terms and also problems for the supply chain as a result. What more can you tell us? Uh, it, it's true. Uh, it, it, it's been a really tough week, especially as, as we head down uh, th this final stretch heading into peak season uh, when, when there's, of course, a lot more flowing around the world than usual. But uh, just there's been really difficult, tragic disruption going on. The, um, the, the, the violence in the Middle East between Israel and, and Hamas has been, of course, at the top of that list. Um, you know, outright violence makes it, of course, impossible to keep logistics channels flowing as they usually do. 
and you know particularly in that region uh, in the middle east you know those needs at the same time had never been higher especially for critical goods for people who live there food and medicine and the rest of it um the conflict in israel is very new of course just within the past week so the early impacts that we've seen in a logistic sense uh, have included things like a lot of canceled airline flights for both passenger and freight planes. Uh, several maritime ports as well in Israel are running under emergency conditions uh, so that, that things are moving much more slowly uh, than they typically would, uh, part for security checks for going th through with a fine tooth comb all, all the cargo that's moving in and out. Uh, and then there's also impact at facilities located on the ground in the area, particularly like factories and manufacturing sites. Many of those are simply closed since there's a military zone and, and uh, current, currently today an evacuation of certain areas. Um, and that requires a lot of citizens, as I said, to either evacuate or to shelter in place. And that means they can't be present to you know, work at a factory or manufacturing site. Everstream Analytics is a supply chain uh, risk analysis company, and, and they highlighted um, medical devices, pharmaceuticals, and chemical supplies as three of the main industries uh, that, that could see disrupted production from the area. Uh, but again, I have to repeat, it's very early in the conflict. Uh, so we haven't yet seen extreme uh, effects from those closures yet. Yeah. Well, violence like we've seen this week is always tragic wherever it happens. And we'll, of course, be tracking those events as they move on. But you were also covering some logistics disruptions here in the U.S. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's never easy, is it, right? Um, and, and thankfully, this, this one has nothing to do with violence, um, but it could actually have a lot uh, wider ranging business impacts. Uh, we're talking now about the U.S. House of Representatives, um, which is basically frozen in place at the moment because it lacks a speaker of the House uh, after its members had voted to dismiss the previous speakers, uh, Kevin McCarthy. So without a speaker, um, the House can't do the business of governing. This could actually begin to have an impact on global events because Congress, of course, approves the nation's spending. Uh, that could include ongoing aid packages for the war you know, in Ukraine with Russia and moving forward, uh, perhaps you know, aid for Israel. Um, in addition, there are dozens of, of bills that are now stuck in the mud uh, that, that had been progressing in their way through the House. Um, and for example, the National Motor Freight Traffic Association, uh, that's a trade group that represents less than truckload carriers, uh, said it was tracking a number of bills that are important for the trucking sector uh, that are uh, now frozen. They include legislation to provide, for example, more truck parking spots. That's an ongoing issue. Uh, to streamline the process of earning a commercial driver's license, that's CDL. Uh, and another one would roll back certain taxes on heavy trucks and trailers. Uh, so again, those are not life or death issues, uh, but the more time that passes, um, they are, there could be some potentially important changes in the logistics sector. Right. And it may be some time before we see any movement on that legislation. We'll, of course, keep a watch on those developments. Thanks, Ben. We will. Yep. Yep. Glad to. We encourage listeners to go to DCVelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. Also, check out the podcast notes section for some direct links to read more about the topics that we discussed today. We'd like to thank Tracy Bellamy from Teljohn for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. 
Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Search for Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Envision Global. Envision Global is a leader in global freight management solutions and services, specializing in freight audit and payment, order management, supplier management, visibility, TMS, and freight spend analytics. Their end-to-end solutions and services enable you to manage your entire global shipment processes within the confines of a single, easy-to-use platform. Interested in saving 7 to 12% or more on your freight spend? Then check out envisionglobal.com. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.